and welcome again to another episode of Jagat Henny's. This is program number 24. Jagat Henny's, a place where musical dreams come to die. We have a new panelist. We're going to introduce everybody for the sake of our listeners who are not familiar with the boys behind the microphones. Kicking things off right now from Saskatoon and formerly from the Gem Cafe in Wadena, the man with the golden pipes and voted twice the student to be least likely to become a teacher's pet. Welcome back to Fitspeak, Gary Toy. <laughs> hey guys, how are, how are you? <laughs> also from Saskatoon and formerly from Wadena, as well as other places out east, where he appeared as Mr. March in a calendar called Sexiest Partsman in Yorkton. We welcome back Sean Ochitwa. Yeah, thanks. From Calgary. <laughs> And formerly from Calgary, a guy who has played in such bands as Beagle Ranch, Scattered the Mud, Detox, and a guy who is currently finishing up his dissertation for Trinity College in Dublin. The name of his piece is called Sociological Impacts of Bromance in Postcolonial Alberta. Welcome back, Conan Daly. Yeah, that's really nice, Kevin. By the way, to all you Fitspeak listeners that heard Kev talk about Fitspeak, this is not Fitspeak. <laughs> <laughs> Formerly from Van Cleek Hill and Wadena <laughs> and Calgary and Prince George and now Waterloo, Alberta, the only member of JAG at Henny's to be placed in the Witness Protection Program. Hello to Craig McKinnon. Hey, Waterloo, Alberta, that's just outside of Vulcan, right? <laughs> I go there all the time to dump my garbage. <laughs> Continuing on our geographical tour of the country, now living in Victoria and formerly from Regina and Smithers and Williams Lake, formerly the hardest working man in politics and the very first member of Jagat Henny's to use Grecian formula for men, we say, what the hell are you doing here to Kelly Gleason? Pleasure to be here, Kev. Nice to meet all you guys. Now that we know right. our panelists... Williams Lake Mustang. <laughs> yes. We're going to kick things off with a, a fun and easy uh, discussion question here. We're going back to our roots as kids or teenagers or hell, even as adults. The question that we're kicking things off with is, did you, growing up as a kid or perhaps even now, have a sports hero? I know a lot of guys are into sports in a big way on this podcast, which is, by the way, called Jag at Henny's. Conan. Not fit speak. Not right. fit speak. Not fit speak. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to me first? Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, right on. Um, I'm a big football fan now, so I love a lot of the guys on the Green Bay Packers now in my current old guy life. But if I go back, back, back in time to when I was a kid and Esso was still giving out NHL power player savers with every gas tank, so I'd make my dad fill up four times a week so I could get my power players. My idols as a youth would all come from the hockey realm. And any of you who are under 40 years old listening to this are going to go, what is he talking about? But yeah, Esso made a great effort to get everybody into hockey when they were kids. And I love the Boston Bruins, probably because when I was six years old, the Boston Bruins were winning everything. And I'm not a Bruins fan anymore, but at the time, I loved the Bruins. And roundabout story, there used to be these little spinny tops. I wish I could describe them better. These little whirly kind of things where you run them and they spin around. Were those and the ones called? Got, were those the ones called the Wizards? The Wizards, absolutely correct. Thank yes. you for for knowing my frame of reference. Wizard actually did a promotion at a toy store here when I was six or seven years old. So this would be 1971, 1972, somewhere around there. And they engaged one of the Boston Bruins to come around for whatever reason to come around to help them promote Wizard Tops. So I got to meet Johnny Busick. And he was a member of that 71, 72, 1970 Boston Bruins team. And of course, I love Bobby Orr, I love Phil Esposito. But then Johnny Busick came to down promoting Wizards and became my favorite. So number nine on the Boston Bruins, number one in your hearts from Edmonton, Alberta, Johnny Busick. Uh-huh. You Chief. know, I, I never, I, I, my dad was the same victim as your dad was there, Conan. And how many bloody versions of the Dale Talon card did I get? God <laughs> damn it. I mean, this, this came in every pack, Dale Talon, who of course, according to Kelly Gleason, he was supposed to be, uh, we were supposed to get, we as in the Vancouver Canucks, they were supposed to be, have Gilbert Perrault, correct? 
Well, there was an expansion draft that year with the Buffalo Sabres and the Vancouver Canucks coming into the league. And how they determined who would get the first pick was they spun a magical wheel, like the Wheel of Fortune. And Buffalo won the spin and got Gilbert Perot. And Vancouver got number two and got Dale Tawan. Gee, that was for Kelly, but there you go. Oh, you brought it. Nice. My Power Players album (laughs) from the old days, including with all my writing where I scratched over all of it. But, yeah. Uh, Let's go to... So, Kevin, this is where I am going to jump in if you're cool with it. Yeah, I'm always. Because uh, Gilbert Perrault was my hero. Yeah. From the time I was an early teen until uh, till now, and I actually still have that SO, uh, that <laughs> SO book as well and all of the cards. And I've still got, even though I'm closing in on 60, I've still got probably 200 of uh, Perrault cards in different, uh, wow. in different frames and things. Um, uh, one... Uh, Awkward story. Uh, he was doing an old timers game in Regina when uh, I was working in TV and radio out there. Um, someone arranged for me to go up to his hotel room to meet him to get him to autograph a bunch of things for me. Um, I walk into the room and I'm not going to say who the other former NHLer was, but spread eagle naked on a bed <laughs> as Perot is signing a bunch of stuff for me. I'm in my early 20s. Awkward beyond belief. <laughs> Um, but uh, I came away with an appreciation for the way these guys uh, lived on the road, and uh, he was he was terrific. Oh wow! <laughs> was he another saber? We're going to get his name out of you. Eventually. It, it wasn't another saber, and it, it was a former famous Maple Leaf uh, who has since passed away. But uh, I probably shouldn't say who it was. Tim Hortons. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, bizarre story, but uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I will never forget. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And Gilbert Perot, a great choice. So it segues with Conan and Dale Talon. Um, let's go to Sean. Sean, what's your sporting hero from the past or present? Well, I have a lot. I have a lot of heroes, but uh, you know, pretty much anybody that well, they're all better than me at everything we do. But uh, I would say uh, Dan Marino from the Miami Dolphins, probably number one. Uh, when I was a kid, I was a goalie. Well, I wasn't much of a goalie, but I tried to be a goalie. Uh, I always loved uh, Tony Esposito's goal mask. That was one of my things. To this day, I'm still a Blackhawks fan. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Marino, Tony Esposito, anybody that's left-handed in the PGA Tour, Bill Mickelson, Bubba ah. Watson, any of those guys. I'm a lefty, so I cheer for those guys and... Yeah, that's probably all I can really think. Russ of. Cochran. I used to like, I used to like a lot of baseball, but I uh, haven't really followed baseball since probably the <clears throat> mid '90s. So, uh, yeah. Marie Bannerman. Bannerman. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be the number one goalie on the Oilers right now. Yeah, true. Sad but true. <laughs> Sad but true. Hey, come on, seven-one beatdown last night. Yes. Let's go with Gary next. Boy, oh boy, this I never really uh, give this one much thought, but I got a, from a childhood hero. I would say my uh, favorite childhood sports hero would be Steve Grogan, quarterback of the New England Patriots. Ooh, he was uh, quarterback back in the seventies. He, he couldn't pass worth a lick, but he could run. Eh? And he was one of the very few. You know, uh, I think he ran for over five hundred yards once or twice in his career and uh, played on like historically bad teams and uh, just finished up his career wearing like a, a freaking a big horse neck collar. He got so beat up over the, over the years. And, uh, I always like, I was just a hapless Pats fan and I just totally respected the beating he took day in and day mm-hmm. out. And uh, my absolute uh, probably hero as a sports uh, sports icon for me growing up. Greatest quarterback the Patriots ever had till Tom Brady. Yeah. Uh, Agreed, agreed. I'm going to take a guess and say that uh, you're probably going to go with hockey, Craig. Am I right? No, I was going to go with basketball. Oh, basketball. Ooh, wow. wow. No, I didn't, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I was going to say Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd B. Free, you know, once he changed his name to World B. Free, <laughs> I always thought that was totally cool. But... Uh, run, run our test, run our test. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I am going to go back to hockey. And uh, my favorite player growing up, uh, I, I still love him. And he's around here. You see him around KW because he's from St. Jacobs. 
uh, uh, former Maple Leaf who's not passed away, uh, and that's Daryl Sittler, number ah. 27. Uh, always a huge Sittler fan, huge Leafs fan back in the day too. That's gotta it's just be a hard. shame that Harold Ballard mm. totally disintegrated that team in the 1980s, but, you know, that's the way it was, and that, and that Sittler never finished his career as a Toronto Maple Leaf, and when they played that uh, old-timers game, oh, it's about four or five years ago against Detroit when they had the Legends out, uh, seeing Sittler on the ice with Lanny, I got to tell you, it did bring a tear to my mm. eye because that's the way it should have finished up. Those guys should have always been Leafs. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, Lanny would be kind of like 1B. Those those two guys, Lanny McDonald and Daryl Sittler, would be my, my uh, former sports idols from when I was younger, when I was a kid. Yeah. Nice. Great pick. Never forget that 76 Canada Cup pool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Still holds the record, most points in a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was kind of... David tried last night. He <laughs> <laughs> only got five, though. <laughs> kind of tough for me. I, as most of you know, uh, played a fair bit of golf growing up. Um, locally, boy, Sean's brother, Kevin. Big sports hero to me. The way that boy could hit a golf ball was freaking amazing. And this was before all the big Bertha drivers and all the big technology came in. But, man, I don't know. Uh, Sean, you could probably back me up on this. Uh, Kevin was hitting the ball, what, 250, 270? And this is like in the in the mid-80s, right? Yeah, with wood drivers. He always had a great trajectory on his ball flight, too. It was that low to high trajectory and, yeah. He hit a good golf ball. Man, and his game was so solid. I mean, putting, he could do it all, but uh, what impressed me most was the driving. From a professional perspective, old school stuff, uh, I was a bit too young for Arnold Palmer, but uh, watching Jack Nicholas play, and especially that big win back in 1970, or rather 1986 at Augusta, you know, he was, what, 40 years old at the time? That was uh, that was certainly one for the ages. What's that story? Older, I think. Yeah. 46. 46. Yeah. My goodness, yeah. So uh, that was, you know, totally inspirational. But you know, from recent times, um, what was it? Just a couple of years ago, with Tiger Woods comeback at Augusta again, um, on par with that. But uh, I'm going to go with Jack, and uh, is that my sports hero? Well, it's good to see that uh, Craig's pipes are warm and running. He's going to tell us about what we did on our last episode of Jag at Henny's. <laughs> Just wanted to say that our last episode to recap was about live events, concerts that you might want to see. We're supposed to see quite a wide variety of offerings, I got to say. We had some designed to draw kind of the ire of the panelists. There was Sarah McLaughlin there, Kevin. I'm surprised you didn't kind of, you know, throw any outrage on that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, he, he, he's not back this week. He's not. Oh, so that was it. He's been shot. All right. But, but, but he did express interest in seeing some EDM stuff as well, which I heard through the grapevine that you were also a fan of. Yeah, I, yeah? I no? That, that That is also a fuel for the pain cave, yes. Fuel for the pain cave, okay. And then, you know, more pain cave stuff with uh, Ramstein in Paris leading to it. That's not Super Tramp in Paris, Ramstein in Paris, leading to a desire to see those guys live. Um, we had a couple of guys that sort of fall into the guitar god category, whether it's Beck or Joe Bonamassa. Um, there was also a desire to uh, disrupt the space-time continuum, <laughs> to perhaps go back in time and you know see bands that you would have wanted to see with the original lineup, like Beatles, Circa Abbey Road, or or a Freddie Mercury-led Queen. Um, there was some concerts that were brought up that people wanted to see or were supposed to see, and whether it was due to circumstances like COVID or death in the family, uh, they weren't able to. You know, Pearl Jam was one for Udo. Um, yes was one for me. I think we'd also touched on a few location-dependent items. Uh, specifically, I think Sean uh, pulled out seeing Iron Maiden, you know, like south of the equator or in Eastern Europe where the, the fan base is absolutely rabid, uh, would make for quite a live experience, I think, to, to catch that. And then, of course, there was the category-defiant smooth sack stylings of the <laughs> one and only Dave Cotts. <laughs> Geez, I wonder who picked that. And unfortunately, I didn't. Back make to you, the, Kevin. Uh, I, I, I didn't make the concert on uh, Valentine's Day. It was uh, yeah, we got uh, caught up in doing some other stuff out in nature, and I'm not going to elaborate on what that was. 
Here we go, a brand new podcast, and just to touch on, and thank you listeners, thank you listeners for uh, skyrocketing, uh, you know, we had some good listenership over the past couple of uh, episodes, um, we can guess as to why, but I think today is going to be a, an equally strong episode, and to tell us about what we're delving into is Conan. Well, it's going to be a humdinger today, I think Kevin. So. I think so. You know, and part of the reason our ratings skyrocketed was mention of Dave Cause. So I'm going to mention Dave Cause a couple more times. I did call into that live concert and make a request on your behalf. And he said, Kevin, I remember him. Does he still wear those underpants? Never mind. <laughs> so Dave Cause, yes, Dave Cause. Today's topic is covers and cover versions. We're going to keep it real loose. It's all about the covers. There's so many bad cover songs out there, but we're not talking about bad covers. That might be in a future Jagged Henny's yes. episode. Today we're talking about appreciated covers, covers that you love. And it won't be featuring the Bay City Rollers version of Rebel Rebel, the David Bowie song, which does exist. Mm. But there will be some great ones that will be mentioned there. However, the panelists want to take the theme. It's great, but we're talking about covers. Here we go. In order for today, we're starting off with Craig. Then Conan, then Kelly, then myself, then Gary, and we're ending things off with Sean. So, Craig, first shot at it, covers of note. Um, perhaps you guys found that you ran into the same problem. My list is, like, super long. I just, there's, there's so many good ones out there. Um, I didn't really look for any bad ones. I just kind of stuck with the good uh, covers theme. The first one I want to talk to is uh, a cover by... Johnny Cash uh, from the American Four, the Man Comes Around album, which was released in 2002. Uh, and that's uh, the cover of Hurt uh, by Nine Inch Nails, uh, which the, the original song is is fairly sparse for a Nine Inch Nails tune uh, for, for me. But when I listen to Johnny Cash's version, they've stripped it down of all the bare essentials. There's piano, there's a guitar, and there's Johnny. Maybe there's a bass there. His voice lends such gravitas to the lyrical content of that tune. And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you It's almost like he's an Old Testament prophet or Moses coming down off the mountain, if you know what I mean. Like he just has that sort of weight that just fits perfectly with with that particular tune. So it, every time I hear it, I just it kind of stops. That's one of those songs that sort of stops in my tracks, and I, I have to listen to Johnny sing it all the way through because he just he's absolutely perfect for that song. I'm just gonna and even Reznor, who was initially hesitant about it, said, "You know what? That is Johnny Cash's song now. He owns mm, it. He, yeah. he took it from me with that performance." Yeah, when when so. artists can do that and make it theirs, uh, that's uh, quite a testament. Gravitas. Never heard that before. What's that mean? Importance. Mm. Heft. 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 Seriousness. Conan, really? add, add Conan, add some heft to our jag. You're up now. Absolutely. Well, in terms of covers, I had the same dilemma as my fellow Beatleologist Craig in terms of limiting this and narrowing mm. it down. And there are hundreds and hundreds of great covers and thousands and thousands of bad covers out there. So I took a two-pronged approach to this one. I did come up with a list of three of, of covers that I think are are the are the best covers of all time, or at least in your definition, Kev, songs that the band made their own, songs that you, when you think of that song, you think of that band, not the original artist. Mm. So I did that, but I also, I narrowed it even further. The Beatles have had hundreds and hundreds of people cover their work. And so I've actually narrowed mine down in more detail as to far as the three greatest Beatles covers, songs that were actually taken by another artist. And you can argue that at least in two of the cases, they made the song better than the Beatles did it. Wow. And this is coming from Beatle guy here yeah. who has complete reverence and love for the Beatles. So um, I'm going to start with number three for me and work my way up. Number three for me is a 1965 song that Lennon and McCartney wrote. Um, it embodies the great Lennon and McCartney relationship where McCartney makes it happy and bouncy. And then Lennon throws something in the middle, which is a little more acerbic, if you will. Um, it went to number one for the Beatles. It went to number 13 in 1970 when a guy named Stevie Wonder covered it. And it's the song We Can Work It Out. And if you listen to Stevie's version, he did it. 
I could argue just as well as the Beatles did it. And he took a different spin on it. And if you, if you listen to Stevie's version of we can work it out, there is such joy emanating from it. I, I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful cover. Um, my other two are a little bit more about artists that took it ahead of the Beatles. Stevie sort of did it on an even plane. So I love the Beatles version, love Stevie's version. My first entry in this is we can work it out. And I'll mention my other three co- covers after we've done all the other stuff. Okay. Sounds so good. We can work it out. Stevie Wonder. A very optimistic sounding song by Stevie as compared to the original, uh, which I thought well, was a bit it more is. And, 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 if I can just add, and if I can just add the Lennon-McCartney part, Lennon, Lennon wrote the parts that are like, life is very short and there's no time for yeah. fussing and fighting, my friend. That's the pessimistic nah. part that came in from, from the optimism. So, hmm. Going from Conan and Beatles and Stevie Wonder to Kelly. A um, little bit uh, harder rock for me. Um, when I was growing up, one of the bands that I absolutely loved was Thin Lizzy. You know, fairly early in their career, they recorded a cover of a traditional Irish ballad called Whiskey in the Jar. It had been covered previously by a number of bands in the 60s. Um, the 72 version that they did was um, a breakthrough for them in many ways. It reached number one in Britain. Fast forward to 1999, and Metallica would release a covers album entitled Garage. It contained a few amazing covers. Bob Seger's Turn the Page, Skinner's Tuesday's Gone, but for me, the masterpiece here was Whiskey in the Jar. This version would uh, peak at number three in Billboard charts. You know, um, I'm constantly creating a playlist for myself, like (laughs) you guys probably are as well. And this one is one I will dust off every six months or every year because it's become a classic just like the original. There we go. Going with Thin Lizzy, an Irish band from an Irish man. Welcome to Jagat Henny's uh, Kelly. And a nice extra tangent because he went a cover of a cover, which was Mm. beauty. Yes. I guess it's my turn. My first choice of a cover song is likely the oldest song, in quotes, ever mentioned on Jagat Henny's. Written in 1816, during the War of 1812. I think you know where I'm going with this. The writer was a lawyer from Maryland, Francis Scott Key. The song has been crucified by Steven Tyler, Carl Lewis, and Conan's favorite female vocalist of all time, Roseanne Barr. What's interesting about Jimi Hendrix's version of Star Spangled Banner was all the things that were kind of going against it before it was finally performed live in some farmer's field in the United States back in 1969, I guess. This is kind of like my concession to Black History Month. Yes, Hendrix was supposed to be playing to a crowd of about the size of Saskatoon to close the festival. The interesting thing was, Hendrix was the backup. The person who was supposed to close Woodstock was Roy Rogers, the singing cowboy. Interestingly enough, Hendrix marched on. What makes uh, Hendrix's version of the tune especially memorable was the timing. And I'm not talking about it being in the latter stages of the Vietnam War or being at the tail end of the 1960s. I'm talking about the time Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock Woodstock rather was performed. We're talking Monday morning, 9.30 for a, a rock performance, you know, from from the history books. Reports say Hendrix was working with a new band at the time and the practice sessions were not going well. They forged ahead and it was the only Hendrix band that included a second guitarist. The guy's name was Larry Lee. He backed up Hendrix on a number of songs and even sang on a couple, but there's no footage of Larry Lee doing any solo guitar work on stage with Hendrix. While we all know about the emotional experience that Jimmy's version can motivate, some rock critics say that they hear songs like bombs going off during Star Spangled Banner, jets flying by, raccoons being castrated, all coming from that Stratocast and the amps. Um, It was something that was highly intentional, however, and as much of, you know, Hendrix was known to be a bit of a, you know, an improviser, he had Star Spangled Banner performed already 28 times before that. So he had a bit of a roadmap from which to deviate and to return to. Just a bit of an editorial for this one. Picture this. They're doing a podcast in the year 2071, and the panelists are going to be dissecting the live performances of who? Notorious B.I.G., Nas, Kanye West, Tupac? Maybe, but I'd almost guarantee they'd be rehashing Jimmy at Woodstock. That's my first choice. Um, Star Spangled Banner and Jimi Hendrix. Um, Let's go now to Gary. 
Hey guys, my uh, my pick here is uh, the song "You Really Got Me," recorded in 1978 from Van Halen. For me, it was uh, kind of the gateway to Van Halen. The song was uh, originally a Kinks song recorded on their debut album in 1964. Uh, in fact, I think it hit number four on the UK chart. Van Halen released it in their uh, debut album in 1978. Really, just like the guitar in it was just the riff just eddies i remember hearing it and it was just i was hooked immediately on van halen and and dlr's like stream of consciousness squealing <laughs> or or little groans in the background and i just it was uh yeah it was just uh, i'll never forget the first time i heard it and uh made me a van halen fan immediately Going from Van Halen and Gary to Sean and well, I've mentioned I've mentioned this one before on a, on a previous podcast, but it's a 1970s song by uh, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. The song is called "The Green Man Alishi." Uh, it was redone in 1978 by Judas Priest, and uh, they released it on a record in the UK called "Killing Machine," but uh, in in the uh, North America, the record was called "Hellbent for Leather." The original song charted for uh, Fleetwood Mac at, to number 10 on the British charts, but never went any higher than that. Peter Green later in life said it was a song that he wrote uh, while on LSD. Wow. <laughs> uh, the Green Man Lishi represents money to him. Ah. That's that's my one of mine anyway. And actually, the Green Man Lishi is the name of one of my bicycles. So there we go. There's a meaningful connection there. Let's go back. Welcome to Fit Speak, everybody. <laughs> I could tell you that it's a Quintana Roo CD 0.1 with a head tri spoke, but let's not do that. Let's go to the top of the list and Craig. My number two pick that I put on this particular list, anyways, was a song that was originally recorded in 1959 by, uh, and it was written by Charles Mingus from the album uh, Mingus Aum. And, um, the tune is called Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. It was originally written as a uh, fond remembrance of his recently uh, deceased friend named Lester Young, who is a saxophone player. Um, the cover version I'm talking about, and there's a few people that do it. Joni Mitchell does a version of it. Hers sticks kind of closer to the, to the jazz original. But I'm talking about Beck's version, Jeff Beck's version from 1976's Wired record, produced by Sir George Martin. The production is, is sparse, minimal. It's a song that I think gets its best reading if you tend to listen to it on headphones. It is an absolute master class in guitar tone. If you if you listen to Jeff Beck on this, he's constantly shifting the voice throughout the five, six minutes of the song. Uh, and it's his his guitar is at its most plaintive and pleading. You know, so if, if I think about it as a sort of an homage to an old friend when I listen to it. Jeff Beck's guitar just just captures that that longing um, for you know that that friend and that that sentiment. Yeah, one of my pro probably my favorite Jeff Beck tune. There was a, there was a couple of other ones that I considered because he's done some covers of some Stevie Wonder stuff as well because uh, we've ended his lovers. But yeah, I, I'm going to pick that one. Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, Jeff Beck, 1976 from Wired. All right, thank you for that. Um, let's go from Craig back to Conan for his second choice. Okay, my second choice in best Beatles covers is a 1974 tune that went to number one in America. It, it came out in late 1974. It went to number one in 1975. It was done by the Beatles in 1967 on the Sgt. Pepper album. Um, I'm talking about Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, LSD. Everybody talked about it. It was about drugs. It wasn't about drugs. It was John Lennon writing a song about his son, Julian, writing, drawing a little picture about his friend Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Everybody taking everything that the Beatles said, thinking that, oh, everything's about drugs. Everything. It wasn't. Lennon wrote the lyrics about Alice in Wonderland, and it had more in common with Alice in Wonderland than it did with, with drugs. 
I think what I like about this cover the best is is Lennon, it's rumored, really rude the loss of his sentimental gentleness that he envisioned in the song. Because McCartney took the arrangement and turned it into Lucy in the sky. And, and it became very, you know, anthem-like. And I think Lennon wanted it a little bit more sentimental. And when the artist that covered it did it, I think you get a little bit more of that wonderment and a little bit more of that dream. And I don't believe the Beatles ever released this as a single. But Elton John did in 1974, and it did go to number one. So my second choice is Elton John's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which features John Lennon on backing vocals and guitar on the version. Uh-huh. My next pick, uh, just so everyone is clear, it'll never be considered the best, considering the the, the original, uh, but it's very much Canadiana. It's a personal choice. You guys, uh, some of you are in the same um, uh, generation as I was when I went to school. One of our assignments in a Canadian history class was to learn about the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, we mm. were asked to study and memorize the lyrics of the Gordon Lightfoot classic. Wow. Uh, so... While Gordon Lightfoot isn't necessarily in my wheelhouse, I've always had a soft spot for this song. It's obviously a Canadian classic. It hit number two on the Billboard charts. It's one of the reasons that Lightfoot is so iconic. The Headstones covered the song in 2019 as a tribute to Lightfoot and because they wanted Canadian audiences to hear this classic. They didn't want it lost. Mm. Um, obviously, like I say, it's never going to come close to the popularity of the original, but the rockier version of the song and Hugh Dillon's vocals make it a great cover and hopefully something that will resonate with the younger generation of Canadians as well. Mm. A classic uh, redone by the Headstones. What province are they from? Do you know? Well, I think they're from across Canada. Hugh okay. Dillon, I believe, is from Ontario, but they're located in Vancouver or have been for several years. Okay. I think they got some Hamilton roots. Yeah. That was such a cool one to bring up. I was I was reading up on that one more when we were discussing this topic, and I got into a whole Gordon Lightfoot vibe. And, and was, they were talking about Edmund Fitzgerald, how he, there's a couple of historical inaccuracies in the song, or wow. very minor things that Gordon apparently performs that song now live, and he changes the lyric. And they're like, yeah. well, why don't you re-record it? And he goes, no, that stands for what it stands for. Oh. If you want to hear it, the new lyrics, come and see me live. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah it's no, amazing cool. song. Yeah, Kelly was saying that uh, Gordon Lightfoot, not quite in his wheelhouse. And um, Kelly, the concert that I saw, because one of the, the last rock concert I saw with you, of course, was Aerosmith, which we talked about in the last one. But the concert I saw after that, yes, was Gordon Lightfoot. Really? Yeah. A That's bit of, terrific. A bit of disclosure there. Uh, my yeah. next song, recorded originally in 1965. Some famous people have had their way with this song. Otis Redding and Britney Spears. Um, Mick Jagger heard the song by the group that did it back in 1977, and he gave it the thumbs up. This song's roots go back to not really a way of recording a song, but just a jam session. Two of the guys in the group were talking about Devo, were just playing around, having some fun with bass and drums, kind of getting into a reggae beat. And what they were initially trying to do is insert the lyrics for painted black into this song. However, that wasn't rocking for them, so they inserted the words of satisfaction and a alternative classic was born. So of course the album was called Are We Not Men, one of the uh, more important debut albums of all time according to myself and Jagat Henny's. But uh, what a clever song, a remake of this one. My personal connection with this one, and it tells you a little bit about where I was at the time, I had not heard the Rolling Stones song prior to this. So when I heard the Rolling Stones song for the very first time, I thought, well, that's pretty good. I'm not sure if it's as good as the Devo version, but uh, there you go. That's my choice for my second song. Let's go now to who is next? I think it's Gary Toy. My second choice, guys, uh, Kurt, or uh, I'm sorry, Craig has already touched on it, Hurt by uh, Johnny Cash. Um, I don't really have much to add, uh, just that it was really an interesting period in Johnny Cash's career. Um, it, it, you know, Rick Rubin kind of reinvented him as a hip country folk elder, like when he was like 62 years old. And it, it, this it really, you know, it, the genius of Rick Rubin, and he really released four recordings under uh, under this period american recordings in 1994 unchained in 96 american 3 
in 2000 and American four in 2002, which, um, the song hurt came from like some, like he does a rendition of rusty cage by Soundgarden. Yeah. It is freaking amazing. You've got to hear it. Or the personal, uh, Jesus, the song by De- Depeche mode. Some of the stuff he does is just incredible. And, uh, I, anybody, I just implore you to listen to this stuff. It is genius, and and like Craig says, like he owns he owns that song now. And I just watched the video this yeah. morning, and mm-hmm. it it cuts back to it, June it Carter Cash, and yeah, you just you, you'll get a lump in your throat. I guarantee you. it's like mm-hmm. the you know the king got to the top of the heap, and and he just sees he sees all the wreckage or all mm-hmm. you know all the the carnage beneath the eh? and 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 it's just it's really it just to me it just gives me like you said. It just gives me a lump in my throat when I, whenever I see that video or whenever I hear that song. It uh, truly is one of my one of the great uh, renditions for sure. The fact that the video was shot only I think only months before he died and he was so frail in the video mm. that's oh. part of what makes it so uh, yeah you know, just it's so vulnerable yeah, yeah. just I just watched the video this morning and it was like man I'm telling you. And Gary, geez, if you uh, wrote like that when you were in your grade eleven English class, you would have become a teacher's pet. That was that was beautiful. Might have been a somebody. Eh? I know. Oh. Okay, let's end this uh, second round with Sean. Few there that are already taken the Johnny Cash one. Obviously, anything off of that Metallica record that uh, was mentioned, uh, Last Caress. <laughs> Bread fan, those are great songs off that record. So I'm not going to go more into that. So I'm, I'm going to go with uh, uh, I'll go with a song uh, by Van, written by Van Morrison for them in 1965, and uh, recorded on a record called uh, "The Angry Young Them." Uh, charted at number 33 in the uh, UK. Songs called "Mystic Eyes," and it was redone by. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on the 2009 live anthology record. And uh, I saw Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers somewhat shortly after. I think that record was out and they did that song live. And uh, uh, Mike Campbell's guitar during that song was was amazing, the guitar work. So uh, that's one that's always going to stand out for me. Mystic Eyes. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. All right, going back to an American and Tom Petty. Um, I'm playing a hunch here, Craig, and I'm thinking you're going to go with a Canadian for your final choice. Am I right? Uh, <clears throat> no. <I'm> <laughs> he, was, he was for our listeners. He was trying to uh, to do this as diplomatically as possible, and it's just no. Well, I was. <laughs> No, <laughs> but I but I just sort of I will inject a little canton in here just to sort of get back and, and um, to relate to a topic that Kelly was talking about. Gordon Lightfoot, uh, I specifically I didn't pick this song, but I just wanted to mention the song. If you could read my mind, I, I tried to find out how many times that song has been covered by other artists. It's over a hundred. Wow. I will just list you the names of some of the people that have covered that particular song. Um, Barbara Streisand, Glenn Campbell, Andy Williams, Johnny Mathis, Jeannie C. Riley, uh, Elvis covered that tune. Uh, and lo and behold, down here on the bottom of the list, I see that the mighty David Hasselhoff also covered <laughs> that song. I would be curious to hear his version of that particular tune, but I think we've touched on that before. Um, with regards to some other songwriters, uh, preeminently like Leonard Cohen, and uh, he was on my list of, of, of covers that I was considering, and Tom Waits, of guys that are just great songwriters that, you know, other um, people take it and interpret those songs and, and do a great job with them. But anyways, that Gordon Lightfoot, I mean, the guy's catalog is just absolutely epic, right? And, and that one song, if you could read my mind, like it's just hundreds of versions of it that people have done. Back to my non-Canadian portion of my... Uh, <laughs> Last choice for for favorite covered version, February 1983. I was probably working at the Wadena Co-op alongside one Kevin Hines. Issue of Guitar Player Magazine had an interview with one Frank Zappa in which (laughs) Frank was talking about a concert that they did in Helsinki, Finland. It was September 1974. They actually did two shows. He said we we were taking requests from the audience and some guy yelled out, Whipping post. And he said, I, I felt very embarrassed because 
we didn't know how to play it, right? Like, uh, and if you if you go to you can't do that on stage anymore. Volume two, which is those two Helsinki concerts. If you listen to the the uh, the song Montana, that's when it happens. And he kind of you know farts his way around through the lyrics and and, and says some whipping post type stuff, but they don't <laughs> actually play the song. And it, it's not until. Um, 1984, and he said when Bobby Martin, who's a keyboard player and saxophone player, got in the band and he knew how to sing it, he said, we're going to do Whip and Post and we're going to do the best Whip and Post that anybody has ever heard. Uh, you listen to the Does Humor Belong on Music or, or any of the live stuff, Broadway the Hard Way, like they played it on pretty much every tour after that until oh. Frank died. Hmm. Frank's guitar work in that song is absolutely blistering. The other thing I like about those live versions is apparently Frank had a thing with his band where he would kind of switch the mood of the tune that they were playing depending on where they wanted it to go. So uh, they would go into reggae. They would Ooh. play it heavy metal style. Wow. They would play, um, he would put his hands up like this, like rain falling down. That was the cue for weather report kind of style, right? So you, you'll hear the music. They just hit the brakes. And all of a sudden, the solo's reggae because that's what Frank kind of commanded them to do. So it's, it always makes for very interesting listening. But, uh, yeah, when, when I read that and then, you know, the story kind of percolated along and I finally got to hear the be-all and endo whipping post version by the FZ band, um, that, that I'm picking as my number one cover just because I, like I like the story that goes along with it. Yeah, what the what a conductor! Hey, uh, like let's improvise on the spot. Let's go this direction. Oh, let's go that, and then you know that's you know, and apparently they would do stuff like like play an entire show in Des Moines, Iowa, reggae. <laughs> just think about that. <laughs> Speaking of a talented dude on a bass, ah, uh, here comes Conan with his final submission. How is that for being nice, Mister? I love that. That was, that was yeah. feeling nice. It's not going to stop me from being cru cruel to you, but thank you. That was really nice. Um, I love Craig's story because I can totally imagine FZ in his head going, you know what, I screwed that up so badly that I'm going to make right by that song. Because that's, that's the kind of dude he was. He wouldn't just leave Whip and Post lying around. And so that's a very cool story. My number one cover of all time and my number one Beatles cover of all time, yeah, and this definitely transcends into the entire list. It's it's it, it, it's a long and storied song that's been covered over 50 times a Beatles tune including Canadian band Kick-Axe covered this tune mm. um, it's a 1967 song from Sgt. Pepper again features Ringo Starr on the album and it's ah. called With a Little Help from My Friends number 311 on Rolling Stone's Greatest Songs of All Time interesting footnote it was originally called the Bad Finger Boogie because I guess when they were writing it John Lennon had a sore finger and they were pounding on the piano and so they started calling it the Bad Finger Boogie which later manifested itself into wanting to name the group the Ivies Bad Finger which they did oh um, one of the lyrics when it is what would you think if I sang out of tune the original follow-up line was would you throw ripe tomatoes at me Ringo said, I'm not singing that. I am not singing that line because we did the whole Jelly Babies thing and we got Jelly Babies thrown at us. And oh. if I sing that line when we play it, I'm going to get ripe tomatoes thrown at me. So they changed the line. They deliberately wrote the tune in a limited range because Ringo, of course, didn't have the pipes of Pan or <laughs> Gary Toy for that matter, <laughs> except for the very last note. They, they said, Ringo, you got to hit that last note. Get by with a little help from my friends, a little help from my friends. Oh, and we just lost Craig. He's gone. <laughs> um, Maryland Governor, future VP Spiro Agnew wanted to ban this song because they believed it about drug use. So mm. that's just the Beatles' history of this song. But the song became even better when it was covered a year later by a guy named Joe Cocker. Uh, Joe changed the chords in the middle, his band did at least. They changed the time signature from a 4-4 time to a 6-8 time. He had on guitar Jimmy Page playing guitar on his version. Um, later on, the Wonder Years made this their theme song. Mm went to number one in the uk joe cocker's version did and again it's actually gone to the uh, number one in the uk three times one by joe cocker one by a group called wet 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 don't even want to listen to that one and another band called it's, it's a boy duo don't even worry about it joe cocker is the definitive version of this song with a little help from my friends 1968 release number one in the uk and for my feeling, the greatest cover song and it made it even better than the beatles which is sacrilege for me mm -hmm. but it was better all right, thank Jimmy you, Page on guitar. Yeah, yeah, we covered that one. And you're right that that was just, a bit of a Canadian just a side thing. note. Just a side note. Yeah. Joe Cocker opened for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. That wow. show I was talking about, and he was incredible. He he died a short time later, but 
he he sang his ass off that night. He was unbelievable. Huh. Just going into more Joe Cocker lore. If you ever Google Cocker slash Belushi, and you see Joe Cocker's appearance on Saturday Night Live in 1976, John Belushi brought out his imitation of Joe Cocker, and they did a duet together. Wow. And it's fantastic. Ooh. The two of them writhing on stage and in <laughs> their own, almost slathering in their own. It's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, but who is the league leader in sweat at Woodstock? Joe Cocker or Richie Havens? Ooh, good one. <laughs> Let's go from Joe Cocker and Conan to Kelly for Kelly's final choice. So, well, Conan had a classic. Um, I think, the, you know, mine is a little bit of a wild card here. Um, I think I can probably safely say it's not part of likely part of anybody's best of lists, mm. but uh, it strikes home with me. Um, one of my favorite all-time artists is David Bowie. He's, you know, as you guys would know, he's been covered by everybody from Nirvana to the Smashing Pumpkins to Oasis. And, uh, you know, I love the version of Heroes that he, he did, but I also love the 2015 version of Heroes that Motorhead did. following Lemmy's death for a couple of reasons. One, obviously it's punchier than the original. Lemmy also dialed down the vocals, uh, which, you know, uh, which has affected their ability to be more mainstream. Uh, and the fact that Bowie and Lemmy died within a year of each other also yeah. had something to do with this as well. Um, who would have thought a Motorhead song would appear on my top covers list? But mm. uh, it's one that, for whatever reason, really resonates with me. Surprise there by, by Kelly going with Motorhead and Bowie. Yeah, in, in my years, I've I mean... Never heard, I've never heard it, and I will check it out after this. Yeah. Well, Sean, here's a, here's another song you totally need to check out after uh, we finish up the podcast. It was oh, a, no Barry White. Oh, no, no. We're, we're going to throw you for a... Definitely throw you for a bit of a curve on this one. This was an instrumental that turned into a song. So the tune itself, Sans Lyrics, was written and recorded in 1954. And it's a song like many on this list who have been performed by a wide variety of folks. Frank Sinatra has done this. Ella Fitzgerald has done this. Uh, Johnny has done this. But the interesting thing about this song was the most popular version I think it was a tie. Both were covers, both in very different styles. We're talking about a song called Misty. Of course, that was a Johnny Mathis song and it was a beautiful crooning standard. But then comedian slash country and music guy Ray Stevens got a hold of this with fiddles and banjos and he totally transformed this song into something that was deep and pondering and serious and a bit of uh, melancholy into this toe-tapping beautiful song. Interesting thing about Ray Stevens version of this was that he actually had the courage to change some of the lyrics in this classic song. So when Ray Stevens did the song, he reframed the focus of the person who's getting the emotion, not to a person, but to God. So he turned it into a bit of a spiritual song. Of course, Ray Stevens being a bit of a hardline Christian at the time, in spite of his crazy stuff called Ahab, the Arab, and of course his top uh, pop uh, spoof song called The Streak. But if you listen to that song, it's like three and a half minutes of joy. You might not be a country and Western fan, but it's a, it's a good toe tapper. It's a happy song. And Surprise, surprise, it's a bit of a Christian ditty. So that's my final choice. Look at 
My final choice, guys, is the song um, Mr. Tambourine Man by The Birds, recorded in 1965. Something I found unusual about this, uh, Bob Dylan recorded the song in 1965 during the sessions for his fifth album, Bringing It All Back Home. Um, The Birds recorded the song five days later and released it as a single. Hmm. And I, I believe both versions were quite successful on the chart. Um, I just, I think the Birds to me are the most underrated American band. And just, you know, uh, Roger McGuinn's 12 mm. string Rickenbacker, yeah. the sound, I mean, influenced REM to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, just to me, just really a, a, a timeless classic. And uh, it's kind of popularized folk rock, kind of brought it into the mainstream. And, uh, I don't think they get the credit they deserve as a band, the, the Birds. I've always thought they were a British band, actually, until you actually dig in, and then mm. I realized they were an American band. Mm. So, But uh, just my favorite anyways, Mr. Tambourine Man. And I think it's time to, to give this another try. So, um, Kelly, I know you haven't heard every single episode of Jagat Henny's, but on occasion, when the occasion is, I would say, appropriate, we try and encourage the person with the best-sounding voice on this podcast to, to do us a favor and to do the listeners a favor and do some singing. So I know Craig and Conan, they're always up to uh, you know some shenanigans, and they've got some great backing harmonies. So I'm going to count it out for you, Greg, or Greg, <laughs> Gary. I, I, I need Mr. Tambourine Man on one, two, three... I ain't gonna sing shit. Get somebody else to sing. <laughs> you know, you know. Just to further on that theme, though, because as soon as he started saying Bob Dylan song, Kev, I think this podcast would be incomplete if we didn't get your version of the Bob Dylan Mister Tambourine Man. Yeah, Mister Tambourine Man. Uh, we will, we will do more. We will do more. We'll take requests. I'll, I'll do whipping post. Um, <laughs> It gets better when he's drunk. The drunker he gets, the better his Dylan gets. It's straight. <laughs> uh, I, I wish the microphones were there at that Smugglers in Calgary the night before we had went to Montana. I was on forum. We had the we had a band and we did some fun stuff. I think Scott Kirby was there. Anyway, um, we've got a heck of a lot of uh, honorable mentions to go. But before we do that, I think Sean still needs to get his last choice in. Yeah, last one, in no particular order, is a 1966 uh, song by the Bobby Fuller Four called I Fought the Law, uh, redone by The Clash in 1977. And uh, it's you know, almost two minutes flat of uh, pure energy and, and Steve Jones snarling Les Paul. And uh, that one always gets me. That, that always is on my playlist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There you have it. There we have it. Okay, now what we're going to do is open this up and have a bit of a free-for-all. I mean, there's so many songs that we could have mentioned but didn't. Handyman, James Taylor, 1977 or so. Uh, Once again, this was a song that I had heard as a remake from James Taylor way before I heard the Buddy Holly version of it. And, you know, both are are very good, but I kind of like the James Taylor version a bit better. But uh, who wants to chime in for for some honorable mentions? Hired Brown on the Chili Peppers. Yeah, good tune. Hallelujah. Yeah. Do you want to dance? The Ramones? Uh, Hey Joe by Hendrix. Um, Cause We've Been His Lovers by Jeff Beck, Stevie Wonder Tune, This Flight Tonight You're right. by uh, along, Nazareth. Uh, I had Heroes. What's that, Fred? All Along the Watchtower. All Along the Watchtower. I had Heroes by Motorhead on my list. Huh? Uh, how about I Will Survive by Cake? That version absolutely kicks ass. It was it was hard for me to not mention that one. Coming Back to You by Jennifer Warnes. That's a Leonard Cohen tune. Uh, here's one that I know one of our other panelists really likes. Memories Can't Wait by Living Color. That's a, a teenage or a Talking Heads tune. Mm-hmm. Do an absolutely fantastic version of that song. Brand New Cadillac by The Clash. Also yeah, yeah. a cover. Excellent. That tune kicks yeah. ass. Uh, 21st Century Schizoid Man. Uh-huh. If you ever doubted that April Wine were great musicians, check that one out. Not, not as jazzy as the Crimson one, but still, mm-hmm. those guys, they got the chops. Huh. Uh, Four Strong Winds by Neil Young. Uh, North Country Girl by Bob or by Pete Townsend, which is a cover of a Bob Dylan tune. I, I like Pete's version a lot better. 
Um, yeah, that's my list. I, it was a, that was just a tough category for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like you guys. I, 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 have such, I have such a long list. I mean, for me, um, other honorable mentions, uh, Social Distortion, uh, Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Um, I don't know if you guys know Pat Benizio, the lead singer of the uh, Smithereens, does an acoustic version of Paranoid mm. from Black Sabbath that I just love as well. It's just a totally different take. Uh, and also, if 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 there's one that I like that is totally bizarre, you know, Wham and George Michael released Careless Whisper in 1984, and obviously huge. And um, and, and a don't Dave know if you Cause song too. Yeah. yeah, and the Eagles of Death Metal covered that in wow. 2019, and it is a ro- obviously a rockier version of the song. And give it a listen; it's a great uh, cover version. Hey, um, Pat Denezio died, eh? He died a few years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the lead singer for the uh, Jim Blossoms doing gigs with him, eh? Like that would be a good, uh, good, good matchup. Uh, you know, Jim Blossoms. There's you know, some good stuff. You know, Gary, who's doing more shows with the Smithereens than Robin Wilson from the Jim Blossoms is Marshall Crenshaw. Oh, is that right? He's actually, been touring with the Smithereens, and and that yeah. was yeah, great. great just, combination. What a what a criminally underrated band, the Smithereens. I just love yeah. their stuff. Like, well, and you know what? The, I remember Top of the Pops was going to be released the week that Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. Huh. No way. And it was yeah, some, an, an immediate yeah. nosedive. Wow. They were I going to they be had, the band, or there was so yeah. much, so, you know, there were expectations they would be the band, and yeah. grunge hit, and like a lot of other bands, that was it. Hmm. Yeah. They just they were so good and I just yeah. I can't understand. They deserve such a better fate. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, agreed. I, I love the fact that Gary, you brought up Bob Dylan stuff because it seems that anybody who does a recognized cover of Bob does it better than Bob does. Like you said, Tambourine Man, Hendrix with all the long the watchtower. I feel bad for Bob because other people have taken his songs and made them better. Look at um I think the only song that he ever sang really well is Lay Lady Lay. Bob should have done more of that because that was a great song, man. Um, other covers that I was thinking of, Foo Fighters do Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. If you've huh. ever heard that one, it's a very interesting yeah. take on that one. Kiss does a Rolling Stones cover called 2000 Men. And actually, I think that one's better than than the Stones yep. one, but it's, a, it's such an obscure tune. Uh, the three that I had that I actually thought these artists made them their own, that you don't even recognize the fact that there was an artist that wrote and recorded it before them. Uh, Aretha Franklin, Respect. That was written by Otis Redding and performed by Otis Redding. Yeah. And... I, I don't think anybody associates Otis's version with the version of respect that Aretha did. Bad Fingers Without You, a massively amazing tune that's been covered a million times, but I think most successfully by Harry Nelson. That's That was written by the guys in Bad Finger, and I don't think that they ever got the accolades that they deserved from writing that song. And for the Beatles, again, I'll double back to them, but the best cover song that the Beatles ever did that I think a lot of people associate as being a Beatles tune is Twist and Shout. Yeah former Isley Brothers tune, mm-hmm. and people took it and twist and shout, and they made it their own. Um, how are you guys doing for time? I just want to hit on one fun thing before we uh, dismiss class for this morning. We're all still on board for like a minute or two. So one of the, things, one of the things we didn't do, and we were kind of wishing we could, and this could be a podcast on its own, is just maybe one dishonorable mention. A, uh, a remake that you just make you cringe and cry and you know go back to bed on a Sunday morning. Are there any that really stick out like, you know, we could go into the William Shatner songbook and come up with any number of things. And and the same way that I think Rod Stewart crucified a bunch of songs, just taking the soul out of them. I mean, he did that great American songbook and I don't know if he did any of those songs justice, but does anybody else have some some uh you know thorns in their side they want to get off their chest i have one that is cringeworthy every time i hear it you know i love van halen but anytime i hear dancing in the street Mm. i uh (laughs) i just want to gouge my eyes out (laughs) i just uh, it's just one of those songs that for whatever reason i just cannot stand i agree that song sucks (laughs) yeah for sure the david bowie mick jagger version of that song is absolutely horrific (laughs) horrible Yeah. yeah Yeah. Hey, I nominate Limp Biscuit behind Blue Eyes. That's another Ooh, good, good one. Can't touch that. <laughs> I know Gary's a big. I know Gary's a big Evan Dando fan, but uh, Mrs. Robinson by the Lemonheads. Uh... <laughs> no, I don't mind that Lemonheads one. That's a happy uh, little pop. To, you know, one that does drive me absolutely insane. And this is from, I think, the late '70s, early '80s. But it's the Flying Lizards covering. 
uh, Money. Money. Oh, Money. Yeah, I remember that. Which was a, which was a great again Beatles cover, but um, the Beatles didn't write it. The Beatles covered it. But then when the Flying Lizards got a hold of it, it's like, what the hell is this? And and Kelly, if you're gonna get upset about a cover, you need to gouge your ears out, not your eyes, because <laughs> you can still hear the song playing if you're poking hot needles. Yeah, I, I guess I grew up in the video age, so I still see the video before me every time I I think of the song or I hear the song. Maybe he's trying to be that guy on the cover of Blackout by the Scorpions, right? Oh, yeah, there you go. Forks in the eyes, yeah. Well, Shatner covered a couple of the tunes we talked about today in Lucy in the Sky and Tambourine Man. Uh, He also did it. It was a a very good year, which is great for a laugh if you listen to his version of that song. So, uh, you know, in defense of Shatner, he, he did an album with Ben Folds. I think it was called Has Been or something like that. And he covered and he covers Common People. The is it Pulp that did pulp, Common pulp. People? Yeah. And pulp. it's a better version than than Pulp's because he, they got they got Joe Jackson to sing the verses on it. So it's so it's Shatner narrating the verses and then yeah. Joe singing the chorus. Phenomenal version. It's really good. It's Joe's a talented cat. He's a talented cat. Joe Jackson. Yeah, it's really good. What about you, Kev? Come on, give us some of your covers that uh, you you think of just with disdain. I I can't, you know, I'm uh, I'm a positive guy, and one that I wanted to share, and I knew Conan was going to ask, um, would have to be Tom Jones' redo of "Kiss" by Prince. Uh, totally funky. I mean, yeah, you can hate on Tom Jones. I mean, he's schmaltzy and all that. He's got a hell of a voice. Um, although he's not Irish, he's the next best thing, right? He's Welsh, but uh, Welsh. his version and and the video. I mean, that's that's badass boss man at its best uh, doing that one. I mean, there's a bunch of others, but uh, I can't really hate on any uh, at the moment, anyway. Now the Shatner and the Tom Jones stuff—that's deliberate camp. So I, yeah. I, I have yeah. there's honor in that. I, yeah. I, I like that stuff. That's true. That's true. Deliberate camp. That's a good way to put it. Unless you read the liner notes for Shatner's record, I mean, I think yeah, oh, you're right. He, he, he has a sense that he had created some great artistic statement, but anyway, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's the best part of the right. record for me is the liner notes, but but that, <laughs> that's admit, that's admitting to having read the liner notes on a William Shatner album, which of course I have would, that album, which would discredit <laughs> you from this panel. <laughs> I agree with that. That started. It didn't start out to be campy. You're right. Like he, he yeah. took it. He made it campy, and somebody said, "Hey, Bill, love what you did with that." And he went, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I meant to do that." Yes, yeah. I mean, That's the mystique it, of Shatner, right? The yeah. mystique yeah, of Shatner. Yeah. You, don't, you don't know whether to take him seriously or not. And, and Spock, the story of didn't Spock do an album too. Spock did an album too. Yeah, that one I don't have, but yeah, he did. He did do an album. Yeah. God, we're nerds. <laughs> and, and the story of how I acquired that record, Kevin was. My aunt was on the internet in early days and I had put out a feeler that I was looking for it because we couldn't find it up here. This was like <laughs> early 90s, whatever it was, right? So I ended up exchanging it with some prof at like University of Michigan who was looking for a couple of obscure Newfie Fiddler records that he couldn't find here. So I went to Sam the Record Man in downtown Toronto. Wow. And I found them and we just traded them in the mail. So he sent me the Shatner album and I sent him these. Even the artist was. But that, but that's how I came into possession of uh, Transform Man. <laughs> well, and the rest is history. Mm. That seems like a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> Come on, everything was a lot of trouble in the old days. <laughs> I think it's worthy to mention. Worthy to mention uh, Frank Sinatra's cover of a Beatles tune. He covered uh, something, and and he would always introduce it in concert as being the greatest love song that Lennon and McCartney ever wrote. And of course, something is written by George Harrison. <laughs> Frank, <laughs> good old Frank. Hey Hartman, Dan, Hart, Dan Hartman's uh, parody of him on SNL is genius. Yeah, yeah. it's just freaking hilarious. I had a How about Helter Skelter by Motley Crue? Anyone get down oh, with that one? No, oh, that's way. horrible. Oh, no way. <laughs> awful. I, that, that falls under awful Beatles covers yeah. for sure. Awful horrible Beatles covers. Cover. Okay. Yeah. When I was doing some searching, I was looking at some of the worst, and, and one that came up that I, I actually didn't realize existed, Britney Spears' version of I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jack. Um, and it just, it's it's worse than you could even imagine. I thought, okay, I'll give, it a, I'll give it 10 seconds, and it is actually worse than you could even imagine. Yeah. Which is uh, itself, Kelly, is a cover, too. That, that yeah, song. exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, good having you aboard there, Kelly. Anyways, nice to meet no, you. No, this good. is good. this is good great. We are we we are collectively Cliff Clavin. <laughs> <laughs> We're a That's what small this community. Needs. Alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is fun. Yeah, no, this is great. We're scattered nobody, all over the country. Nobody picked out Madonna's American Pie mm. or Avril Lavigne's Imagine. A couple of real horrible oh. ones. And honestly, I don't like Lenny Kravitz's version of American Woman. I, I, I don't agree like with it. I, I think totally it's over. Totally yeah, I think it stinks. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with you. No, the point about Madonna too, the fact that it charted even higher than the original. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. American Woman was yeah. actually written just down the street from my house, about five minutes from here. The Grand what? Curling Club. Yeah, no, the home, the home hardware in Ooh. in Waterloo, just off the University and Weber, about five minutes from here. There is a sign at the front of the store that says, on this very spot, blah, 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 1969, this is where American Woman was made. Made. With that guitar string changing exercise that they went through to come up with a riff and all that sort of stuff. Wow. Because that used to be the Glen Ridge Curling Club. It's now a home hardware, but that's where they, they were performing at the time when they wrote American Woman live on stage. What? I'll, I'll shoot you a picture of the sign next time I go there to buy some nails. <laughs> <laughs>